Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Oak Shape Podcast Season 6 with your host, Dan the Fitness Man. Thank you for tuning in. We are excited to have you. This is the podcast that is dedicated to hard work, disciplined decisions, and year-round training in the pursuit of the best possible version of ourselves. We leverage elk hunting to create a pathway. We understand that time is finite and we cannot squander a second. We must be leaders at our home. We understand that faith is our number one priority. Then family, then fitness, then health, then wealth. Our year-round disciplined decisions help us leave a legacy for our family to follow. You will leave here motivated, inspired, and educated. We bring on a wide variety of guests subject matter experts so that you can tune in get what you need to get and continue on your journey we are blessed to call ourselves elk hunters season six here we go hey friends elk shape podcast got a really nerdy episode today on archery sitting down with James Yates, a.k.a. Yates in the backcountry from Instagram. Met him at Western Expo, told him I wanted to get him on, and we talked for quite a while. So this is a little bit longer episode. We're geeking out on archery, getting to know his story, talking about his 230-inch mule deer he arrowed two years ago. He's the editor for Western Hunter on the archery side of things. He's an engineer. He's brilliant, and he's humble. He's a father, a husband. This guy's awesome. You're going to love this episode. Without further ado, James Yates, and you're listening to the Elk Shea Podcast. Yo, can you hear me? Hey, I got you. Good morning, James. Hey, Dan. How are you? I'm great, man. So winter is back in the Northwest. How about you guys? Yeah, we just got 16 inches of snow overnight. Are you? Wow. Okay. Your guys are, you guys' snowpack is insane this year, right? 
Uh, yeah, I think I've been hearing that the ski resorts are on course to break records. I think they already broke a record through January and this storm was 16 inches down. I live at the mouth of like Big Cottonwood Canyon. And I think the mountains were supposed to potentially get three feet out of this storm. My gosh, man. I mean, that's, that's good, but you always like, you're, you're rooting for the wildlife, you know, hopefully, hopefully they're in the range, winter range and just surviving, especially these last couple months of winter, man, they're the, they're the worst for them. Oh yeah, it is for sure. The, um, the big thing with the, um, the big thing with the, uh, with the, the weather as it is currently, um, and the winter range situation here with the, you know, the houses down in the valley and on the benches is, you know, reduction of reduction of winter range and, and all the snow that generally our, the valley stays quite warm, but man, we've had snowpack at our house pretty much all winter, which means the foothills with the exception of the direct south facing slopes are, are all snow packed and they're going to get dumped on even more now. Mm, man. Well, I'm excited to chat with you today. I feel like we probably have a lot in common and I think there's some things that you probably are an expert on or maybe a nerd about that. I just will can't wait to pick your brain and our audience deserves a proper introduction and I'm not the guy for that because I don't know you yet, but maybe just give us like a, you know, the 10,000 foot view of James Yates, AKA Yates in the backcountry. That's who I follow on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, so I've, uh, I'm a father of two boys, two crazy boys, uh, husband. I'm a chemical engineer, consulting chem- chemical engineer, in my day job. I also, the last two years have been doing the archery editorial content for Western Hunter magazine um, and just a pretty devout outdoorsman, um, mostly bow hunting, but I do try to dabble in all forms of hunting to be just well diverse, um, but definitely a, a bow hunting and archery nerd. Um, I uh, started rifle hunting when I was a kid with my dad and probably oh, 10 or 12 years ago now. I pretty much turned on the archery switch and was pretty much exclusively archery for six or seven, maybe eight years. And then, um, started dabbling back into some rifle hunts and, and, uh, getting a little bit more technical and in, in long range shooting and applying what I had learned in bow hunting and taking it to the, to some rifle and muzzleloader hunts as well. So that's a background on me. Okay. Love that. So Western the Western Hunt, is it Western Hunter Magazine? Yeah, Western Hunter Magazine, yep. Okay, yep. So you are an editor. You do handle the archery-related columns. Uh, how many issues a year is that? Western Hunter is six issues a year. Cool. Yeah, I used to do a gig with them for years. I don't remember what my column was, something with fitness or whatever, but writing is a lost art, and um, it's tough. It's definitely a, It's kind of a labor of love to to pin something that's thoughtful, articulate what you're trying to express and do it in a way where it doesn't go over everyone's head because you're super wicked smart. You're an engineer, chemical engineer. So, uh, I enjoy your column and I, I get the publication to my door. So I enjoy, I'm old school. I just enjoy magazines. I still do. The good thing about the magazine is you can kind of read it at your own pace. Um, you know, especially 
I'm, I've kind of become known for some really technical archery content, um, kind of taking a different approach to things than, than your common article or blog online, um, trying to bring new information, um, applying my engineering mindset. And there's two good things about the written word. I can take time and, and write exactly what I want and re and reread, rewrite, you know, I, I, it's not like I'm, you know, sometimes on podcasts or whatnot, which seem to be the craze these days, you can kind of fumble over your words because it's, it's live, but I can make sure, uh, on the, in the written word that it's, it, it's the message is getting clearly, um, especially on the technical, really technical content that it's the message is coming through. Um, and then on the reader side, you know, you, you can, you can reread a sentence or two or a paragraph you know, three or four times to make sure you really understand it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to, I'm going to pick your brain on archery stuff, man. I'm an archery nerd, except for I'm not an engineer. I'm just, I try, I just try hard and I'm obsessed with it. So I want to get into that. Um, but I want, I'm going to rewind because I, I know a little about some stuff and I want to just pick your brain. So the first one I'm going to ask you is about your cover photo on your Instagram page. It is a mule deer that looks like he's easily t- mid two hundreds, but I don't know what is that buck. Um, yeah, so in twenty twenty, I killed a, a buck on our extended archery unit. Um, he's mid two he's mid two thirties uh, officially official gross. He's two twenty eight net, so I guess that's the official score. Um, I hunted him for, for four years, um, on and off 2017 was the first year I saw him. Uh, he lived in kind of a hell hole and was mostly nocturnal and stayed timbered up. Um, yeah, it was, a uh, it was quite the adventure that was right when we started having kids. So I, I didn't pursue him as heavily that year, 2018, he disappeared on me. I actually didn't see him in 2018. I thought he had died. Um, 2019, I was back in that same area. I basically, I basically been hunting that Canyon since 2016. I've killed. Oh, let's see. I think four or five of my most recent bucks in that Canyon. So I've been in there a long time and 2019, I looked for him all summer, didn't find him. Um, but I did find, a like a 190 type three by four, um, 34 inches wide that I kind of, after I didn't turn up the really big buck, I, I decided to go all in on him and I killed him second day of the bow hunt. So I continued to scout. I placed a lot of trail cameras. That's before the trail camera ban in Utah. And I, uh, one of those cameras ended up turning up my monster buck, uh, at the end of 2019 in the rut, um, kind of in a my, migration corridor. Uh, so I, uh, that, Actually, that the spring of 2020 is when I went up and checked those cameras, and I was with my four-year-old son at the time. I put him on my shoulders, and we'd packed way up in there, and we're checking cameras. And um, lo and behold, I've got a picture of I was literally with my son. He hit him in my lap, and we're checking these these cards. Um, and lo and behold, that buck is is still alive. And my son was four years old, and uh, his name is Canyon, with a K. And I asked him what he wanted to name the buck because I always, you know, I always kind of name the bucks that I hunt. He he wanted to name him after himself. So he wanted to name him Canyon. And I was like, oh, wow, that's I don't want to go around saying I want to kill Canyon. 
Um, <laughs> so, but he was the biggest deer I'd ever seen in the Canyon. So we ended up, um, we ended up calling King Canyon, um, and KK for short. I just refer to that deer as KK. Um, but just, a, a really cool experience. I, um, bonded really well with a couple of buddies that we were good friends at the time, but after the experience of chasing that deer together, we, you know, became best friends and, uh, Luke Holding and Ty Glenn and Jaron Danzi were instrumental in helping me get that buck killed. Uh, Jaron, uh, I, I, there were like six different nights that I pulled all nighters checking cameras. Um, uh, my buddy Jaron was with me on like half of those. Luke took like the whole month of Thanksgiving off to come to come or the whole week of Thanksgiving to come hunt with me and, and try to get that buck killed. And then Ty, um, took work off that last day of the extended archery season and we got him killed that day so you literally got him on the very last day i got him yeah so the so and the, and the other thing that was kind of stressful is we figured the buck was at least eight years old um and we'd had a couple of mild winters leading up to that and um we figured that if we had a bad winter that he could have easily died that next winter and i killed him so it's a, like a 108 day extended archery season. And I killed him on the very last day in the last like 20 minutes of legal shooting light. And I mean, it was, wow. It was, it was just like the epitome of push it to the end. Um, I drew on that buck six times throughout the month of November, just never had a clear shot. Um, uh, so I had plenty of close opportunities um, thanks to my friends and, our hard work. I ended up hunting, I think I went 47 days, 47 times. I live right, right next to the range. So I'm able to go up and morning hunt before work. So I, I was up and down the mountain 47 times that year for the deer. Dude, that is a serious commitment. And that is a grind. And that is 100% delayed gratification. There's nothing that you can duplicate. Obviously, I don't have to tell you this, but for folks listening, like give us the background on what it's like to get up super early after being up the night before to get the hunt in, get back, get dressed, go to work, do a good job, be a great husband and father and not, well, you're going to be obsessed with this deer and it's just going to take you to another level. Like give us the, I love this kind of stuff. So, so yeah, the, and I wrote a, um, so the, the, I can't remember exactly what issue, but 2021, I wrote a really in-depth, like six-page article on the entire story in Western Hunter. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, there were oftentimes if I were scouting, I, I, um, I ran 30, I had 30 different camera locations, but they actually didn't even help me. Uh, he, he never, I got him on camera, oh, I don't know, 10 different times. But there was only one camera location that I got him re re repeated times. Does that make sense? So he just yeah he never he never held yeah. a, yeah, just never held a pattern. I ended up pulling all the cameras down about mid season because they just it was just exhausting. Um, and I you know I even at, at the time you know salt buck jam I tried I tried it all and just none of it would. Um, you know, all of that was legal, was legal back then in Utah and, and nothing would, nothing would attract him. Um, typically early on bucks can be, you know, really attracted to the salt and the mineral. He, he'd hit it occasionally, but he'd never go back to it. Um, 
So that was all scouting season. By the time August came around, I think I only got him on camera once or twice after that. Um, and it was always just passing through, um, which is pretty typical for us. The, the deer kind of hit mineral back when we could run it through about early August. And then they kind of just don't want to bother with it. So we would, I would, I would run cameras at night. I'm a, I'm a night owl. If I, if I had to like, if I had to, you know, say my one superpower in life, it would be an ability to function um, physically and mentally on, on little sleep. Um, so, and I got that from my mom. She's the same way. Uh, so I'd run cameras at night. There was like six times I pulled an all nighter. Um, a couple of times I glassed the night before I glassed the night before check cameras all night. And in the morning I would glass. So literally no sleep. Uh, and then go into work that I did pull that like three times. Um, and, th and then, yeah, go to work. But I mean, that's not something that I would do for every deer. This was, you know, we thought any, any likely was 250 inches in velvet. Um, I've heard, you know, different rules of thumb, seven to 10, seven, seven to 10% uh, difference between, you know, velvet and hard horned. Um, what he had, he was like a nine by 11. So 20, 20 points. Imagine if you, you know, a quarter inch or an eighth of an inch on every point, you know, that's, that's multiple inches just there. And then the, the mass measurements, but, um, then come the hunt. Um, I, you know, I'd, I'd hunt in the morning, wake up, um, especially towards the, the November when the road, when, when everything was snowpacked, took forever to get in there. I was waking up at three 30, uh, in the morning, um, getting in there um and then we hunt hunt all day um i hunted most most every day in november um it was so deep that on that particular hunt i was taking the days off so i was taking i took the whole week of thanksgiving off and i pretty much hunted at least every other day the rest of november and the weekends so um but earlier in the season, when it wasn't as hard to get in there, I'd hunt till about, depending on the day and what I had going with work, um, I'd wake up at, you know, 3.30, 4 o'clock, uh, run up, hunt the morning. If I didn't see him, I'd get down. Uh, um, and then I, I'd uh, oftentimes, I'd, be, I'd, be, uh, I'd do kind of a, uh, just kind of a quick little rinse off in the, in the creek and then change my clothes and head into work. Um, if I had a, if I was meeting with clients that day, I'd, I'd try to run home and get a, a good shower in or whatever, but, um, yeah. And, and then, you know, get home, uh, have dinner with the family, play with the kids, bathe them, get them to bed nine, spend some time with my wife, work a little bit in the evening to kind of make up for my, my absence in the, in the morning and, and get to bed. I, I like to say 11, but that hardly ever happens. Midnight, one o'clock. Um, and uh, I couldn't do that. You know, I can't, you know, functioning on three, four hours of sleep, I can't do. I could probably do that back to back days. But if you're starting to push three or four days like that, uh, you know, it's, I, I couldn't do that. But, um, you know, try to get uh, three or four morning hunts in a, in a week like that, um, with, uh, you know, a rest day in between, if you will. Definitely, man. Um, so 
this deer is pretty rando. He's definitely nocturnal. He's he's mature. He's doing mature buck things. That extended season runs through the rut. You're hoping that he's going to, at this point, at this stage, let's just talk about the last week. Is the rut over on the last week? Is he pulled off and like by himself? Obviously, you're seeing him, so I'm assuming the rut must be swinging and he's just, he's just, you know, hound dogging it all around wherever. Like, how are you guys relocating him? Um, so fortunately, all of the leaves are, are off the quakies that time of year, so we could peer into the quakey bowls. And and the rut, the ruts, the ruts still in full swing. Um, it's not like Montana or Idaho or even Wyoming, where I think the focus is early to mid-November. Uh, I think here it's personally, I prefer mid to late November. Um, so he's still very much in the rut. The problem with the rut is, and a deer like that, he was commanding a herd of like, at times 20 does. I, I, I doubt he ever had less than 10 does when he was like really, really rutting. And then he would go in and steal does from other bucks, like other good bucks. So we were, there were two different occasions where I, um, the same 170 type four point that KK had stolen his does would come in and bomb the, uh, would come in and bomb the does to try to, to break up the harem so that they could, you know, steal a couple of does that actually happened twice when I was in position on the deer um, and it, and it completely blew up that happened Sunday. So the last day of the hunt was November 30th. That happened Sunday, the 29th in a quakey bowl. And it happened the very next day, Monday, the last day of the hunt about an hour before, um, about an hour before the last light of, you know, before the hunt closed, I, I was within like, I was literally waiting for a shot opportunity the last day like within 60 yards of the deer when this other deer for the second time came in and blew up the herd. So they, all the deer disappeared down into the timber. And, uh, I had started working my way back towards our glassing point across the Canyon. Um, and my, my buddy Ty glassed him up and, um, and then we made a plan and I went back over there, kind of booked it as fast as I could. I was probably only a half a mile or three quarters of a mile, but in the bottom there, there was four feet of snow and there was crusty. So it was occasionally I would break through the crust and lose my momentum. Anyway, got back over there to the south facing side and um, was able to kind of creep below in the timber because the thermals were coming down. And and I really, this hunt kind of demonstrates where why I, I I geek out on on archery. Um, I shoot a really fast arrow. Um, I have a series in Western Hunter Magazine that talks about bow hunting forgiveness, and to me, the ultimate forgiveness in an uh, in a in a setup, especially for a modern compound pump, a modern compound bow, is a is a really fast um, uh, a really fast arrow that has uh, a really low trajectory. The reason why I call that forgiving is, is I think personally, when all of my experience hunting kind of OTC general archery deer hunts, the, the number one error from hunters is misranging, ranging errors. Um, and the faster your arrow is going, the more forgiveness you get in that ranging error. So I've got this little test that I talk about in one of my articles. I call it my, 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 uh, 
my range forgiveness test. So at 80 yards, I want to know exactly at 80 yards how far off I can be on my range estimation and still be within the kill zone on a mature mule deer, which I consider like 10 inches. So I will go and figure out where every one of my, my arrow setups, how far off I can be on the range and still be in the kill zone. And for my really fast arrow, um, um, I, I can be three yards off on my range and still be in the kill zone, which if I, I that to put that, that's, that's groundbreaking three yards off at 80 is, and honestly, I, I feel like that's one of the reasons why I killed this deer because in that last stock, I drew on him uh, three times, two times where I had to let down. Um, and the third time I drew on him, I actually drew on him and he was dog and does, started walking again. And I actually held my draw. Um, and I just figured that I was the way that he was working, he was, we were kind of working parallel with each other. And I was staying in the can, the dark canopy below. And when he finally stopped that fourth time, I was already drawn. Cause I kind of, I was, I was holding my draw and took a few steps with him. And I figured if I was, you know, a, even just a yard or two off on the, on the estimate, then I'd, I'd still be on the kill zone. And I aimed mid body cavity and ended up hitting like three or four inches low ended up being a perfect heart shot and he dropped dead instantly shot was uh just about 80 yards but it was pretty steep incline i think it was hold for hold for like 68 or 69 yards okay some good stuff in there i i don't want listeners to miss out on some of this information that i just heard you speak of so number one can you quantify can you give me numbers what is a tell me what a fast arrow is tell me what a slow arrow is for you we can only talk about you. We're not talking about you guys listening. We're talking about James Yates. Yeah, yeah. So for me, um, that so right now I'm shooting a Hoyt RX7, uh, pretty similar with the Hoyt RX5. Um, Hoyt kind of radically redid their bows a couple of years ago. Um, their cams are extremely efficient. Right now, my bow is shooting. So with the Elk Shape Podcast audience, we want to let you know about all our partner discount codes or calls to action. Save you some loot, get you some good gear. Kufaru, we finally have a discount code. Elk Shape 15. Any purchase except for shelters. I run the hoodlum. Jake runs the hoodlum. Get yourself the duplex light frame or the tactical. I have both. I would say the tactical is a little bit better for colder weather, whereas the skeletonized duplex light works a little bit better in early season like August and September. Discount code Elk Shape 15. With the Vortex Optics discount code, you have to go to eurooptic.com enter the discount code ELK10. It'll save 10% off any Vortex glass. We also have a Vortex wear discount code, 20% off all Vortex wear for your scouting, date night, or workout gear. Enter the discount code ELKSHAPE and it'll get you 20% off. Onyx Elite membership, enter the discount code ELKSHAPE, it'll take 20% off. You will get the Elite membership, all 50 states, plus access to the digital publication from Hunting Fool. You'll also get a Hunt Reminder membership included, as well as Top Rut and other perks. Onyx has been in the game the longest. Take advantage. Next is NUMA Outdoors. That's the hunting clothing we wear in the backcountry. 
into the discount code ELKSHAPE20 to save 20% off. MagView, this is the digiscoping solution made easy. The discount code is ELKSHAPE. It'll take 10% off. Get the A1 and the B1. Definitely for your spotter and your bino. It pairs nicely. And uh, it's just a little magnet strip on the back of your phone. You don't have to have a silly phone case. Wilderness Athlete, new discount code for 2023. It is ELKSHAPE23. That'll knock 20% off. Look for the ELKSHAPE stack or the September stack. And ladies, the Mrs. ELKSHAPE stack as well. Black Ovis is where I get my gear. The discount code is ELKSHAPE. It'll take 10% off. Fast and free shipping and the best customer service. Black Rifle Coffee Company, whether you want to become a member and have the subscription to where coffee is delivered to your door in the cadence that you prefer, or you want some BRCC swag, coffee mugs, and even RTDs now, enter the discount code ELKSHAPE. Save 15% off anything at BlackRifleCoffee.com. Fatty Meat Sticks, a great, healthy, non-GMO, crappy, salty. No, this is the best tasting meat stick on planet Earth. Discount code Elk Hunter gets you a little 5 to 10% off depending on what you buy. Check out Fatty Meat Sticks. Sheep Feet, orthotics for your feet. Discount code ELKSHAPE. Take 10% off your sheep feet. I have two pairs. I always have a pair in my boots and my workout shoes. I have high arches. That really helps. At first, I was a naysayer. Now, I'm a believer. Sheet Feet works really well for me. Could work really well for you. Put it in your boot. The Elk Collective, the number one digital elk hunting resource. You want to get going on elk hunting, you can practice and learn from others. So instead of listening to one person preach about how to elk hunt, it's an army of subject matter experts teaching their ways of hunting elk. Discount code ELKSHAPE podcast, all one word. We'll get you a discount to theelkcollective.com. I think it's, it's uh, 318 or 320 feet per second, uh, 28 inch draw length, uh, at least on the, the mods on the bow. My true draw length is a touch over 28 and a half, but I, I shoot, uh, um, so the, the true draw length is never what the module says. They're always, every bow manufacturer is a little bit, um, is a little bit, uh, long so it's it's stated at 28 but it's much it's actually closer to 28 and a half and then i shoot max let off and i twist up my cables just a little bit to hit like just a touch over 28 and a half um so that so i shoot 80 81 pounds um 81 pounds 28 28 inch draw length according to the cam um and 425 grain arrow is going 318 to 320 feet per second. Um, these modern compound bows, especially the 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 new Hoyt um, Matthews, they are very efficient at shooting uh, bow shooting these arrows very quickly with um, with minimal noise and efficiency problems. Now that can't be said for bows of even five years ago. I think, you know, it's, it's specs don't seem like they've changed a whole lot, but I think what has happened is the efficiency of the bow, um, the quietness of the bow, that stuff has all changed. Like my bow, my, my Hoyt now, this, this new Hoyt is shooting a 308, 318 feet per second, 425 grain arrow. It's quieter than, you know, Hoyts or primes of even five years ago shooting 280 feet per second. So, and I know that I know that you shoot Matthews, and I know that Matthews have come a long way in that regard to just being very efficient with shooting light arrows um, or, or lighter. I don't consider 425 grains ultra light. Um, there's guys that are down below 400 grains, um, but yeah, I can give you I can give you an example of Marquez, lead engineer Matthews. 
uh, shoots a 395 total arrow weight. And basically he said on this podcast, like, look, man, with these newer bows, he literally said what you're saying. The heavier go with these brand new bows in the last couple of years, you're not gaining any additional efficiency. Um, and so that really like drives a lot of people nuts that want to shoot a heavier arrow. I've come down since t- 2006. I used to be a five, a full metal jacket dude. And, and you know, 505 was about the average weight with a hundred grain uh, fixed broadhead. Now, this year, I'm looking at 421 total arrow weight with 125 grain uh, fixed broadhead up front. So these these bows are more efficient. You're getting the energy. You're leaking less energy. I am sold on forgiveness by your definition, James. 100% because stuff happens fast. You get to full draw. An animal takes a step, three steps. And I'm not a built-in rangefinder. And I can't use a, a site that has an automatic rangefinder on it in most states out west. So I'm literally sold on your definition, man. I hope people are listening. Um, when did you make this? When did this discovery click for you where you're like, this is truly what forgiveness is for me? Uh, I don't know, 2018, probably, maybe 17. Um, after, um, so people just have to get my nature. Um, I've probably not been in the sport, you know, especially I've bo- I've hunted in my whole life, but archery hunting, there's a guy who's guys with a lot more experience than me, but my nature and just my chemical engineering mindset is I just jump into things. Um, and I, I mean, to the detriment of sometimes I, I, I just, I just get a one track mind and, um, I mean, within my first two years of picking up a bow, I already felt like I knew more than any local shop. And I just stopped going to shops. I bought a press and I started doing all my own stuff within two years of picking up a bow. Um, I, I, I'm just voracious at, at, at learning. And, and I just feel like with my attention to detail, um, I'll take the time to, uh, to, to set it up how I want to set it up. And if I were to try to pay somebody to set up my bow the way I set it up, it'd be a thousand dollars. I mean, I, I spend, it takes me a month to set up my bow exactly how I want it. Yeah, no, I can tell now 318 feet a second. That's no joke. Um, that trajectory is insane. The forgiveness. I love it. Can you, uh, tell me what arrow vein, like break down your arrow from tip to tail? Yeah. So, um, I also, I kind of want to also state that, um, so I'm not, so the other, the other facet of, of this is I also like a really, really heavy arrow depending on the circumstance. Sure. So for, for out West, um, mostly I'm, I'm, I'm heavily deer focused, uh, but I do love elk hunting. Um, if I were hunting out of a tree stand or if I was hunting, um, over water for elk or hunting really thick timber and like, in the Pacific Northwest, I would shoot a 650 plus grain arrow. Um, for, for, for me on those shortest shots, the most important thing is shot angle forgiveness. So if I'm shooting, so I've done a little bit of, of sitting water and I've killed a few elk and deer that way. What I have learned in the, in that situation and all of that is you don't want to wait for an ideal shot angle. If you're shooting a really fast arrow and a big mechanical broadhead, you know, you got to wait for a quartering away or a broadside shot. Um, with, in my experience, 
a 650 plus grain arrow with a really stout fixed blade two two you know two blade cut on contact like an iron will um i can blow through the meaty part of the scapula um so quartering two shots um frontal shots um i feel a whole lot more confident on those shots with a really heavy arrow so shot angle forgiveness is the most important thing on your close quarter shots so depending on the hunt and i another thing that i talk about um is i'm able to just with um just different just different uh different things and i walk through this in a really in-depth manner in uh three article series from western hunter i can actually get my lightweight arrow and my heavyweight arrow to tune almost identically so i can shoot both of them at the same time um and uh and and often I'll carry a 650 plus grain arrow in my quiver and a three uh, 425 grain arrow, and I and I've got you know different bow sights that I've been able to figure out how to track essentially two different arrow trajectories on those two different bow uh, on those two different arrow trajectories on the same bow sight. Yeah, no, I I gotta agree with you a little bit here on on having that when in doubt go heavy. For example. Like I told you, I was at 505, which is heavy for me. That was 12 years of hunting North Idaho where I could get anywhere from a five to 15 yard shot on elk. And the shot angle is kind of like you get what the good Lord gives you or exactly. you, and so or you don't get a shot. You don't get a shot. Now for me, I'm more open country elk hunting now. And so I'm not, you know, I'm not sitting like water holes or tree stands you know, I'm on the ground. These are shots are going to be further than 40 yards. Obviously, I want to get as close as possible, but that's why I've gravitated towards that setup. But if I were to come back to my roots and hunt even my own state, Washington, or go over, back over to North Idaho, I certainly wouldn't flinch at going heavier and even getting into the 600s like you're talking about with like a two-blade cut on contact or a single bevel, something just where the shot angle, you know, it's not a, it's not an issue including calling in elk in those kind of scenarios solo where man i hate to say it but you you may be presented that frontal and that is a shot you might not want to take with a 400 grain arrow or something like that but that's cool that you mentioned that man really honestly and there's a lot of whitetail hunters um my whitetail setup definitely is not the same as my elk setup and uh tree stand hunting water hole hunting and i cannot believe the tip you just gave away Friends, if you are sitting, if you are ambush hunting, you cannot be that picky on the shot selection. And so if that's the reality, you ought to consider what James is talking about is having a different setup. And I love that you have them tuned to come out the same bow. How did you do that? Yeah. So the biggest thing is, is, is just spending a lot of time. I, so I've got, you know, a full shop in my garage, um, I play around on Archer's Advantage a lot, um, selecting the spine length. Um, so I'll insert, so I use, I've been a big believer in, uh, I, I like micro diameter arrows, give me every advantage I can. And um, so I'll back before, I'm a big believer in uh, iron wheel um, insert system. In fact, uh, uh, when I first found out about eight or six months before uh um, Bill was releasing those collars. He told me, and, and I was all giddy and excited about getting a collar on the front of a, uh, four mil arrow. Um, 
So basically what I'll do is I'll, I'll figure out an archer's advantage, how much weight I need to load up the front of the arrow with to weaken, to, to, you know, kind of weaken the spine and then archer's advantage gets you close. And then what I'll do is I'll, I'll keep an arrow long and I'll cut it back a half inch at a time off the back end and I'll bear shaft. Um, I'll shoot bear shafts through paper um, until, until both, until the one arrow comes in line with the other. Um, you can play with, uh, like on a ham ski, you can, you can, you can play with plunger tension that helps, um, uh, knock tuning helps, um, you know, bringing, bringing the, the arrows into, to tune, to, to basically, uh, rip bullet holes, um, at the same rest position. Now, the other important thing to keep in mind, yeah, there's a lot of people that have wanted to dabble in this since I, I've had a couple other podcasts on this topic, um, and I talk about it in the in the articles, but um, with a mechanical broadhead. So typically, and I should state this: my 318 grain arrow, I'm only shooting a mechanical, or sorry, 318 foot per second arrow. I'm only shooting a mechanical broadhead on it. That's yeah, much I'll... too fast for any forgiveness from a fixed blade. But I'm only shooting fixed blades on my um, on my really heavy setup now, mostly just because of the country that I hunt. I've killed more animals with my lighter setup than my heavy setup, but I've killed plenty. I've killed two bulls, three bulls with the heavy setup and, um, and, and a buck, um, the deer that, that arrow just blows through deer. Like you can't imagine, um, blows through elk too. Um, but so I'll, so the most important thing is that your fixed blade broadhead arrow. So my heavy arrow is tuned perfectly. That, that, that arrow, if you're shooting fixed blade broadheads and you want them to get the same point of impact, you need, that bow needs to be tuned perfectly and you need to have a lot of fletching to correct any sort of, um, you know, any sort of error in your, in your grip, you know, shooting broadheads on the range is one thing, but as soon as you, you know, get on the mountain, um, I can shoot broadheads as, as good as anybody. Um, but I'm also very aware of limitations as a human being and the excitement of shooting on the mountain with some breeze, bad footing or, or whatever, you know, a fixed blade can, unless you have a lot of fletching can, can, uh, kind of steer itself up front. Um, so that, that arrow needs to be tuned very well. And then you can get away with a little bit of, um, you can get away with a little bit of misalignment on a, on a, on a, on a mechanical arrow especially if you have a, a, a reasonable amount of fletching on the back. Um, in my experience, like with a sever, um, I use a flex fletch 360 extreme veins. Um, it's a moderate, moderate height vein, 3.6 inches long, um, pretty stiff. Uh, that, that vein in a three fletch will correct um, a fixed or a mechanical or a fill tip really quickly. Um, so if you're shooting the two arrows, you want to make sure that your heavy fixed blade arrow is perfectly tuned. And then um, you're bringing in the, um, the mechanical as close as you can. Now, for the most part, I can get the left and right play out of it almost fully um, just because of the different. Um, I don't know exactly what it is, but sometimes my light arrow, if my if my heavy arrow is perfectly tuned, my light arrow is going to come in a little knock high, um, which, which 
I, I've had no problem with it. Um, um, so it doesn't, the bolt arrows don't need to be perfectly tuned. Um, I mean, for most people, the level of tune that I get it to, most people would say it's perfectly tuned. I know it's not quite all there, but it's, it's, it's damn close enough for a mechanical. Mm, yeah, no, I, I feel you. Now the knock tuning, are you simply just, um, when you say that, I don't want people to miss that step. So that's generally my idea of knock tuning would still be a, with a bear shaft and then just rotating the knock 120 degrees until you get it to, to stay whole. Yeah. Or to, yeah, to, to, to tear a bolt. So I shoot, so I shoot so many arrows in my garage. So I, I blank bell a tremendous amount. Um, I blank bell through paper just to make sure my form's good. Um, I'd say if I shoot 8,000 reps a year, I shoot a tremendous amount. Um, I'd probably say 5,000 of those are, are in my garage. Mm -hmm. Um, just literally at five feet and just form consistency. I'm not aiming. Um, I'm trying to keep my mind keen, trying to break the connection between aiming. And so blank billing is really good to, to, to break the connection in your mind between. So your mind, if you constantly are aiming, your mind is going to kind of build this phobia up that if you're on target, your bow is going to go off. And that's when you start getting flinchy. Um, so blank bailing where you're physically not aiming. I mean, literally when I first started blank bailing, I don't know how many years ago, I would blank bail with my eyes closed. So my mind there. So, so I break the connection in my mind that being on target means the bow is going to go off because I, I shoot more reps not aiming than I do aiming, if that makes sense. Yeah, aiming, man. It's like driving. You don't stare at a white and yellow line when you're driving the whole time. Aiming can be automatic, autonomic. You don't have to, you can stare down there and gaze off. Aiming's going to happen on its own. That pin's going to come back to the middle, even though it's moving. Joel Turner's done a great job at my camps, just helping people to leave, exit the aiming room and get to the execution room. And, um, I do like the eyes open blank bailing. I do. So, yeah. So the, the, um, the other thing that's really, so yeah, so the, the bear shafts, um, so I've, I've kind of, um, I spend a tremendous amount of time, you know, knock tuning, making sure my, so my criteria for a fixed blade going in my quiver is that it, at 80 yards, I wanted to be able to hit a three inch sticker, um, like two or three times. Um, and so I'll knock tune until, until an arrow and, and I shoot iron wheels and they're great at, um, holding their edge. Um, I've shot an iron wheel into a, um, you know, like a sever target, you know, upwards of 30 times and it's still hold, it's still shaving sharp. Um, and, uh, so I, you know, I put the, I put the broadhead on the arrow. I, you know, I kind of mate those two together. Um, I'll knock tune until I, you know, it's consistently hitting a three inch circle at, at 80 yards a three inch sticker and that's how it goes in my quiver um so i've done a lot of playing around with arrows um and um i have experienced that eastern arrows um i have to knock tune far less and i think it's probably the eastern kind of has their own process of making arrows called poltrusion it's a little different process than the wrap and roll process. And it leads to uh, incredible circum circumferential spine consistency. Um, so as you go around the circumference of the shaft, um, 
that spine is very consistent. Um, I've measured it with uh, RAM spine tester. I was going to say, do you have a RAM? You have a RAM at home? I do. Yeah, so do I. Now, how, how, side note, side question, because I got gotcha. you, bend your ear. What What's like the RAM tester do for you? Like what's like its primary objective for you? Um, the primary objective is, um, is, well, honestly, it was, it's, it's to help me get a, uh, get a good, a good grip on the, um, spine alignment. Um, so I, I have a good starting, starting point on where, you know, where to position my knock. Um, so especially when I was, you know, shooting more of a wrap and roll arrow, that was really important to get me in the ballpark because I was spending a lot of time, you know, knock tuning to that degree, you know, uh, shooting a fixed blade broadhead at 80 yards in a three inch circle. That's, that's pretty tight. That's a, that's a pretty stringent, uh, task. And, um, so I was knock tuning a lot. So the, the Ram spine tester just helps also I'll put it on the spine tester and I'll watch the gauge and I'll slowly rotate the shaft um, until I, you know, I find that the, the high point, low point, whatever, whatever, however you want to do it. And then I'll, I'll align the knocks so that they're the same. Now that gets me close. It's not perfect. Um, and then the other thing, even beyond that, cause knock tuning with broadhead is, is my end all be all. Um, but it, it, it clued me in onto how different arrows how different arrows perform in terms of the circumferential spine. And it, it kind of helped me clue in on. Um, so right now I'm currently shooting Easton pro comps. Um, it's, it's the exact same arrow technology as the Easton X 10, which is one like every Olympic gold medal since like 1992. Uh, and the pro comp is built the exact same way. And it's a, it's a four mil arrow that's a, you're able to insert with a, a deep six hit, hit insert. That's bougie, bro. That ain't no, that ain't no cheap arrow. That's legit right there, man. Yeah. It's, it's an expensive arrow, but the time that, so to give you an idea, um, you know, kind of like a wrap and roll arrow, I was, I was having to knock tune. I would say, I don't know, 10 out of 12, nine out of 12 arrows in a dozen like an, an Easton protrusion, like the axis or the axis long range, I was having to knock tune like four or five um, out of a dozen. The pro comps, I don't have to knock tune. Okay, that's legit. Now, also, fun fact, the guys who make the RAM, spine tester, 30 minutes from my house, man. How cool is that? Oh, really? So I'm, yeah. I'm, uh, I, that's rad. They, uh, they're great to work with. They, um, I'm going to be doing, um, a couple of reviews on how I use the Ram spine tester. And then also their, their, their vice, their vice, their new vice is incredible. I've got one. I've been playing around with it for like five months and I'm going to be doing uh, kind of an in-depth review of that vice. I, I love it in, in uh, this year in, in Western Hunter magazine. Oh, I look forward to seeing that. That'd be great. I, I, I need another tutorial on how to use this Ram tester, man. Like I've used it a little bit to find the highs and lows and, um, you know, I struggle with like, so I, a lot of them are victory rip TKOs, uh, elites. So 0 0.001 and they're very consistent for the most part, but they come with this mark on there called spine alignment. And I've been trying to debunk it. And sometimes I can, there's always a couple arrows that, Hey, this spine alignment does not match up, but overall 
Um, most of them do, which is good to know, but I still find myself doing that last little bit of knock tuning with, you know, my fixed broadheads before I put them in my quiver right before elk season. And 80 yards is also that magical distance for me to really decipher. Um, while we're talking about tuning, I got to ask this real quick and then we'll come back to your pro comps. A lot of bow manufacturers and I, I used to shoot for Hoyt, but it's been a minute. Um, but like, Matthews 13 16 off the riser you get that rest locked in really you don't mess with it man like if you have a, a knock right knock left tear or whatever you you're gonna do some wheeling some orientation some top hats I'm sure with a, a Hoyt it's similar or twisting Y yokes or something but my point of all this is I don't like touching my rest very often and the only teeny tiny adjustment I might ever do is I might bump it up just slightly or get myself a sight tape dedicated to that fixed broadhead. Are you moving, manipulating your rest at all? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, I, but, but like you, I like to make major movements. Um, and that's actually, I really, really like that, that the direction that Hoyt is going now um, because they went away from the yokes. Um, the Hoyt's new, Hoyt's new cam system is a cross-loading um, binary cam system that the cable comes out of one side of the cam goes through the roller guard and then goes to the other side of the bottom cam and then vice versa. So they balance really well. It eliminates 90% of cam lean. Um, but the beautiful thing about that is both cables are identical. So the, the Hoyt has like the, the most stupid, simple string system out there. It's two identical cables and a string and they don't come out of tune because they're everything you know, they stretch at the same rate. Um, it's an exactly, it, it's an exact mirror top to bottom. So they, they hold their tune. And I also versus like a yoke, um, a yoke and a bus cable, those are different and kind of leads to a little, it kind of led to a more spongy back wall. And my experience with, 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 uh, the yokes, because the cables are under different amount of tension, they, they creep or stretch a little bit differently or, or settle a little bit differently. And over time you kind of lose tune. So that's one thing that I really like about the, the new Hoyts um, similar to Matthews that the shims um, instead of the top hats with the Hoyts, I do my bulk movement on those. Um, I actually 13 sixteenths is what I would consider the, the minimum on, on the inside um, I prefer to tune personally at like seven eighths. Um, and with the, the shims and the top hats, you, you can do that. The reason why I like to do that is I shoot, I'm a big believer in, from a bow hunting perspective. Um, so it's different than target. I'm a big believer in a big peep. I shoot a seven thirty seconds peep, um, same, for hunting. Same yep. I, I love a big peep. And so I need a bigger, I need a big, uh, a big guard so that they line up concentrically. And, um, so, um, for that big guard, not to be kind of eclipsed by the riser, I, I like to tune a little bit more to the outside and with these, these more modern bows with the ability to shim cams or, you know, the top hat system, um, uh, you, you can, you can kind of tune a little bit more to the outside. Um, and I just, i I found a sweet spot on, oh, I don't know. I've tuned a lot of the, these new age Hoyts for, for friends and whatnot, um, in my garage and seven, eight seems to be a sweet spot. 
So, okay. But so yeah, back but to yeah, your, like, back. I got what you're saying. And I think my takeaways for folks listening is if you're a little bit like, what are these guys talking about? You need to become more of a student of archery because go to James's Instagram page and look at his 80 yard groups that he posts weekly. Arrows are touching. I mean, dude, you can shoot. And in order to shoot that well, long distance, you got to have obviously repeatable technique. I didn't say flawless. I just said repeatable. And that's important. That's very important. But the other thing is like all that time you're spending in your shop shooting, you know, through paper and, and at close distances, uh, you are becoming so one with your grip on a bow, which is probably where most people end up losing that long range consistency is their torque. Would you agree? Yeah, hundred percent. The two, the two points of contact are the most important, um, anchoring and grip. And I'd say, like you said, um, the grip is more important, um, because it's, you kind of have a, a leverage effect. Um, uh, uh, you know, you've got the, the, a little bit off on your grip will kind of torque the, the, the bow in relation to the knock of the arrow more because of that lever arm. Um, so yeah, just being one with your grip, um, figuring out what the, the bow, what your bow likes, and then you can have, you can have the shittiest, not the shittiest, you can have really bad form. Um, but if you're ultra consistent, you're going to out shoot somebody with exceptional form that isn't the most consistent, if that makes sense. <laughs> I love it. There's a soundbite for you. So break down these pro comps, carbon to carbon. How short are you cutting them? You're putting a hidden insert of using iron wheels or what are you using? What's on the back? What's your broadhead of choice? And this could be your deer arrow for all I care. I just, I'm, I'm impressed with your pro comps and I'm just going to save up and have to buy me a dozen or two to, to tinker with, but break it down for us, man. Yeah. So the pro comp, um, my deer arrow is a 300 spine. Um, finished weight is about 425 grain, 425 grains. That tunes out well for me. I'm a big believer on minimizing surface area. So I cut, um, I cut my arrow as short as possible. Um, so, uh, my, my, my arrow is my, my broadhead is over the shelf. Um, from a, um, from a compound bow perspective, there's really no such thing as being overspined. Um, uh, you just have to have enough spine. Um, so my arrow probably comes in is, is, you know, if I were to throw in my statistics or my stats or information into archer's advantage, you'd come back probably marginally stiff. Um, so I, uh, that arrow, I have, you know, velocity at the same time without, without getting too light. Um, so you should never really drop below like, I, um, Five, like five grains per like i'm trying to remember my rule of thumb I, I i it's been so long since i've tinkered with that arrow i've shot a 420 ish grain arrow for so long i think i think a a, a good rule of thumb is like a minimum of five grains per pound of of draw weight um uh i'll have to fact check myself on that one but um um so that, yeah, so that pro comp, so I shoot uh, flex fletch 360 extreme veins. It's, it's from what I've found, it is a very, I like a really stiff vein and I like a really light vein. Um, so it's, it's just got this great combination of being very stiff and very light. Um, it's a, it's a medium profile vein. So 
Um, you know, some one down, I'm a big believer in limb driven rests, but the one downside of limb driven rests is you can get some bounce back on them as the bottom limb oscillates, right? That makes sense as your bottom yeah. limb is oscillating, your rest can come up. So, um, I, I know that, uh, you know, the higher profile vein and you're starting to get contact issues with like a limb driven rest, it's most likely that rest bouncing back up a little bit. So I like that it's a, a you know medium profile vein height wise. So I, I I I never have contact issues up front. I shoot a twenty five grain iron will uh, deep six hit insert and uh, a twenty five grain iron will collar. And on that arrow, I shoot a one point five inch sever hundred grain deep six. That's what I was looking for. Now, any wrap on the back, and how much does each vein weigh? No, no wrap on the back. I try to minimize weight on the back of the arrow. If I want to add weight, I'll add it up front in the insert. Um, you hearing that, kids? Did you hear that, kiddos? That's why I don't wear a wrap either. Um, yeah, well said. Put the weight up front. Now, sorry to interrupt you. What was you saying on the the veins weight per vein? That that vein, um, I think it's like six point six or seven grains per per. Um, so pretty light for how stiff it is. I mean, it, mm -hmm. you look at it and it, I mean, it's a very thin material, but it's super stiff. It's really quiet. It's, it's my favorite vein. Um, I, I, you know, if a, with fixed blade broadheads, I would like it maybe if it was a little bit taller. Um, cause mm -hmm. that's the big thing that surface area isn't one-to-one -one on a, on a, on a vein. Um, especially if you're shooting fixed blades, um, so this is going to really geek out, but I do a high order. Um, I do a high order modeling for my job um, called computational fluid dynamics. Okay. Uh, it's basically representing a, a um, it's basically representing physical phenomenon and you, it's virtually represented with the, you know, actual physics um, um, in, in a computer simulation. And so I, I, I do a lot of fluid flow modeling. Um, and uh, um, so one, th one thing that's, that's kind of important that I've actually ch chatted with Bill quite a bit about um, uh, is especially with fixed blade broadheads, nothing, no amount of surface area close to the, the arrow shaft is, is really going to, to outperform height on a vein. And the reason for that is, is as the, as the velocity profile develops, starting from the, the arrow shaft and propagates outward, the actual velocity profile as the arrow is moving through the air. So the velocity, the air velocity right near the shaft is actually, is actually not high. It's called a, it's called a, like, a, it's called a boundary condition. So it happens in fluid flow. Um, think about the foil, like a, the foil on a, on a sports car, that foil is lifted off the back of the car quite a ways. And the reason for that is there's more friction and there's more air movement coming up off the car to help drive the, the front of the car down. Does that make sense? Yep. So the same thing, the same thing goes with a vein right next to the arrow shaft the velocity or the the pressure exerted on the vein is not very high, um, so no, really, nothing's going to. Just because the it's kind of a stagnant zone, 
of of the air as the arrow is moving. And as you propagate out from that arrow shaft, uh, the boundary that boundary layer builds, and the velocity is going much faster. The air velocity is going much faster as you propagate out from that arrow shaft. Well, faster air means more pressure on the tips of your veins. So that's where I'm saying that the height of the vein, nothing, especially if you're shooting fixed blades, nothing's out gonna, nothing's gonna outperform a taller vein. The problem with taller veins is you can have some contact issues. Um, you know, they're a little bit more noisy. Um, so that's where I was kind of making the point that with my mechanical broadheads, uh, that medium profile vein works really well because it just doesn't need to to steer that much. But if you're having issues with those medium height profile veins with fixed blades, it, it's because of what I just explained to you. Um, th they need to be a little taller to get into a spot in the fluid dynamics that that vein is seeing more pressure. And that pressure and force is what allows the arrow to correct itself. So it's just like a parachute. The, the veins on the back of an arrow are like a parachute. So they, they literally provide resistance so that the back of the arrow wants to track immediately behind the front of the arrow uh, aerodynamically because that's the path of least resistance. Well said. And I love that. Um, I've discovered like, like last year I ran a AEE max hunters. Um, yeah. So because, the max hunter is really tall, very tall. Um, and I'm going away from them this year because they definitely steer the best obviously, but they, they are considerably loud and everyone knows that, um, so I am currently tinkering with several different ones, but um, the AEE hybrid HPs, they kind of look like a blazer knockoff. They're ribbed. Uh, that's what I'm on. That's what I'm on to right now. Those are steering broadheads very well. They're not as tall or as loud, but yet they're still tall enough to steer very well. Um, they are helical. Like I'm using the Arizona mini, uh, mini max. So I got an insane helical on those. Um, but I've done in the past, I like the max stealths, pretty big AEE fan. Um, my buddy who runs the gear side of things on our channel, he's running these super sabers. And so far we haven't tested with broadheads yet, but he's really into it. Yeah. Another, another vein to look into. Um, if you like that parabolic shape from the kind of the blazer, um, the Easton bully vein, it's actually made by blazer. Oh yeah. Or by oh yeah. Yep. It's, it's. I actually like it more than the blazer and I'm actually going to play around with that, um, that vein on my fixed blades, um, this yeah. year, uh, the bully vein came out like a year or two ago. It's actually a blazer profile made by boning, but it's using the, the boning heat vein material. So it's ultra stiff. I, I, I'm just a big fan of, of, of ultra stiff, um, from a noise perspective. Now, ultra stiff can, if you do have contact issues, obviously the stiffer the vein, the more, the more it's going to throw your arrow if you have contact issues. So barring contact issues, which I think you can get away from, um, you know, I, I, I really like a stiff vein. And you're a three vein dude, correct? Yeah. I just, um, I, uh, just with the, the rotational, the rotation of the arrow, um, uh, I, I feel like a fourth vein doesn't add like a third more, a third more steering. Um, it, it, it adds a third more weight vein wise, but it doesn't add a third more steering because you're getting, um, because of the rotational, um, 
the rotation of the of the of the arrow. So I just find that it's just more efficient trying to minimize the weight of the arrow on the back, the weight of the back of the arrow. Well said. Yeah, I mean, I'm in the business of selling elk shaped veins, but I am not gonna put four veins on the back of my arrow, like you just said. I'm not seeing a third more correction steering, uh, and I like to put the weight where it matters. So, all right. I know we're going over an hour. I did not realize you were this cool. I'm joking. I knew you. I knew this would be awesome. So I got to hit a couple more things real quick because I'm sure you're on a time crunch. Um, I'm actually I'm actually okay for a bit still. So okay. as long as you, I've probably got another half hour. That's about all I got too. So I want to squeeze the juice. Um, all right, let's go back to the buck real quick. Uh, I want to hear your response to this statement because this is true. I did watch a video on YouTube from a YouTuber, is what I'm going to call them, those darn YouTubers, and it's about your buck, but he doesn't say, I don't think he says your name or whatever in the video, but it's like he was after that buck as well or something, and it's his version of the story. It looked like there was some drama. I don't really want to get into drama, but like maybe your response to that whole scenario for those that didn't see that or understand that there was some competition for this deer. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I won't deny it. Um, yeah, that individual, uh, Hunter, I don't, I don't have, uh, any major beef with, um, you know, there definitely was some competition. Um, you know, everybody's got their side of the story. Um, uh, my side plays out, a, uh, a little bit differently, um, on, uh, on my perspective on how things went down. Um, I'm not going to, throw him under the bus or anything. I, I think we both really wanted to kill the deer. That individual hunter had a lot of time on that buck as well. Um, and I'll say that he had uh, more time on that buck early, you know, in those years of 2017, 18, 19. Um, but I do fully believe that 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 last year that nobody outworked me on that deer. Um, and uh, um, it is what it is. Um, when I, when I, when I killed the deer, um, you know, he came, uh, it, you know, it was kind of a somber moment for him, but you know, we kind of rejoiced together. So props to him, you know, I, I consider him a, a good dude. Um, I gave him some of the meat from the deer, let him make, let him make replicas. And I, and I, and I hear that, uh, you know, you know, I, I actually haven't watched the video. Um, I've, I've heard about it plenty. It is what it is. Uh, it's the Wasatch front. I don't mind saying that. Um, if you want to come hunt here, be prepared for Mortal Kombat type hunting. This is not the first time something like this has happened. Anybody with a valid archery tag in the state can come hunt the extended. And I'm not kidding you. Any given, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, there could be five to 10,000 hunters in a relatively small area. I, I just don't take the front for, for something that it, that it, that it, that it isn't right. It's not my 16 mile deep Colorado hunt or my eight mile deep archery elk hunt in, in Idaho. Right. I, I just got to know that I'm going to be dealing with shit from other hunters. There's going to be some competition. I, I play it a little differently. You know, I hunt escape routes. I don't, I don't think that, um, the, the other hunter or, or myself, I don't think ever once did we intentionally screw up the other guy. Um, no, I can't speak for him, but, um, I never intentionally screwed him up. I don't think he ever intentionally screwed me up. We're both just trying to kill the deer. So, Hey, it's going to happen if you hunt public land and you know, long enough, you're going to, you're going to bump into other people. You're not always going to meet, um, your best friend on the mountain. You're not always going to meet somebody stoked to see you either. Um, my advice would be, 
and this is kind of more of an elk hunting advice, uh, cause I've hunted the public land hustle forever is man. Um, there's always more animals in other places. Your best bet generally is to just go back to the maps, go to your plan C or your plan Z. You could even have a great conversation on the mountain, but it, you know, you still can't control what they're going to do. They're humans. And there's a lot of, there's some ego involved in hunting to the detriment of all, all of us. So there's always going to be that. So yeah, man, I think you guys handled it well. Um, yeah, I was just going to say in his defense, um, in his defense, man, I, you know, he had a lot of time on that deer and that, that guy, like I said, before the last year, he put a tremendous amount of effort and he did the last year, but the last year, like I, I was, I was beyond obsessive. Um, so he had a huge <laughs> connection. Um, and if you're, and if, and if you're kind of seeing the level of my mind and, and my detail oriented nature, you'll see that when I obsess over something, I mean, it was just, I just spent a stupid amount of time on that deer. So, I mean, I totally get it. He wanted some meat. He wanted the replicas um, because he just had a significant amount of time on that deer. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to fault him for that. Um, sure. And, and I'm just not the type to, you know, a lot of people ask me why, why I never responded to any of the stuff when that video came out a year or two ago. And, that's just not my style. Um, everyone's going to have, you know, there's egos involved. Everyone's going to have a different opinion. Do did I feel like that story played out a little differently? Yeah. Um, but it is what it is. He's a good dude. He works hard. Props to him. I, that's great. We'll end that there. And man, not responding is honestly sometimes the hardest route to take. Trust me. I get I get shade thrown at me on a daily basis. I'm sure you do too. But like, like I literally posted something this morning that was kind of inspirational. One of my kids, uh, one of my guys that works for me edited up a really cool inspirational piece. He was stoked about the edit. I'm like, cool, I'll post it. Second comment, you're a self-promoter. And it's not even, and it's just like, you got to like realize some people wake up in the morning and just want to throw shade. Now, every part of me wants to get on my keyboard and type up some stuff or whatever. But the harder, better route is often to just let it slide and live your life. So good for you, man. I respect that. I want to talk about three pieces of gear in the little bit of time we have left. And um, I picked these out on purpose, man. This is only part of the podcast I'm actually quasi prepared for. Number one, <laughs> I, was, I was today years old. When I found out that you helped design the ADAC vinyl harness system, which I ran for a few years, and I thought, this thing's genius. It finally like solves all my problems. But no offense to you. Then I got then I got in love with marsupial and I haven't looked back. But I did run ADAC. That was you, man. Yeah, that was uh that was me and my wife. Yeah, my uh 2015 I I made that. Um it took a while to get it out to the market for whatever reason, but yeah, uh I sewed up a prototype, uh, my wife did helping me, uh, out of necessity. Cause I hated every vinyl harness on the market. And, uh, yeah, that, 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 that was me. Um, I just didn't have the, I didn't have the means to, um, kind of produce it myself, you know, kind of the fi financial means and the know-how. So I sold the design, um, to good friend, uh, Kendall card and, um, yeah. and, uh, they, they took it and, um, um, it's kind of, it's kind of died off a little bit with the competition in the 
in the in the bino harness market i do think some are still available um i don't know what the future of it's going to hold um since i'm i'm kind of been out of it since i sold the design um but uh yeah it was it was great it saw you know i still run uh i still run that harness my prototype that i've got made out of a a, a sika jacket um and uh yeah it was great um solves the solves the problems it's really quiet dude Mad respect. And Kendall Card is my dude. I love that guy. He is a gangster. That is so I just wanted to like point out how cool you are. That I didn't know you made that and I bought that, man. I ran that for a couple of years. So mad props. Okay, number two out of three. You do you have your video on? You don't have to I don't need to see you, but can you see me? Uh yeah. Yep. Oh, great. You've probably been staring at me the whole time, picking my nose. Um, this is the Epics from Garmin. Yep. I, I have the instinct. And on my left hand, I'm wearing two watches, not because I'm weird, but because I'm testing right now. This is the Polar Grit X Pro from Polar. Love the Instinct. I've never touched the Phoenix. I'm going to try to get one. This Epics weighs, it's like a brick. I'm not kidding. Like my right arm is going to be buffer than my left just because it's on that wrist. Um, but I wanted to geek out with you real quick on the Garmin lineup watches since I know you know some things. Uh, instinct Phoenix. And then this epics, uh, the connect app, what, um, from a hunting standpoint, can you like highlight some of your favorite features of the Garmin watches? And by the way, I'm not sponsored by Garmin. I don't have to say a nice thing about them at all. I do think they make great stuff. Um, with that being said, could you run through like your favorite or best practices with your Garmin? Yeah. So I've got, I run a Garmin Phoenix. Um, I haven't always run a smartwatch. Um, a couple of things, um, you know, just having the the altimeter, I can tune exactly from a hunting perspective. Uh, from a training perspective, most of my training is done uh, to maintain a heart rate. Uh, I hate wearing a heart rate monitor, um, so I much prefer it on the on the wrist, even though it's not as accurate. Um, so I'm constantly looking at the heart rate monitor. Um, uh, um, it's 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 a convenience thing, but you know, when I'm out, I do a, a tremendous amount of running, um, especially this time of year. Um, so it's convenient that I, you know, if I'm, I'm out on a run, I don't have to, if I get a text message for work or family or whatever, I don't have to pull the phone out of my pocket. That's more of a convenience thing, but something I've, I've actually really, really enjoyed, um, being able to read a text message on my wrist. Um, similarly, um, I could run without my phone and I could Bluetooth, uh, uh, music to my, my headphones if I needed to, um, the altimeter, like I mentioned, um, I've not. It does have GPS. Um, I've never been in a situation where I've I've lost or my phone has died, but it, it does serve as a backup GPS device with mapping. So keep that in mind. I'm a big believer in having backup devices. So I also run a Garmin um, yeah, InReach. I prefer not, I, I even though the Mini is great, I prefer uh, a, a handheld model. Yeah, the Explorer that actually has mapping yeah. because I've I've dropped a conventional topo. So I have if my phone takes a dive on a hunt, and some of my stuff is really committed, like we hunt 16 miles deep in Colorado. Um, or you can kind of get disoriented in you know big forests or elk hunting. So I like so I, I have my phone and then I've got my inReach explorer that's GPS with mapping. And then 
you know, if I'm ever away from my pack or whatever, I've got the the Garmin with the GPS mapping as well. Uh, the the sorry, the Phoenix. Um, so those are the big issues: the heart rate or the heart rate, the altimeter. Um, I I kind of my 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 training perspective, like I said, is mostly heart rate. Um, I do this time of year. I'm I'm running purely from a heart rate as it as it starts to get um, a little bit warmer and the mountains start to thaw a little bit, I'll start to track mileage. So that's really nice to, um, start tracking mileage, um, as I start gearing up for, for that sort of thing. Um, this year I'm kind of coming off a knee injury that happened late in December. So I'm, I almost took the entire month of January off. So my, my cardiovascular conditioning is not where it normally is this time of year. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm kind of building back up, which is why, especially this year, I'm really focusing on heart rate. Once the spring kind of, kind of comes, um, this year it'll be different, but I do get out and do some shed hunting more from an exercise perspective. Uh, late spring, I, I like to do, uh, weighted, um, like really, you know, like 50 pound, really steep. I hike the Mount Olympus trail here, which is a really steep punchy in the face climb, I do that um, for heart rate, um, but I, I'm actually really trying to push my heart rate there. To um, there, I've got a buddy Ty uh, who who's who's gone head over heels in body physiology and this sort of thing, and he knows all the technical terms for it. But I'm a big believer um, in a hunting perspective, being able to operate, um, being and I don't know the technical term for it, but I've always been able to red line for a long time and i think that's partly because of some of the intensity training that i do um i can keep going uh you know red line uh, really fast heart rate um you may know this because you're you're more of a fitness freak than i am um but being able to push myself with a with a high heart rate and you know, producing that lactic acid, I'm still, I'm still able to push it. Cause that's what I train for. Okay. That's, that's, that's a whole nother podcast, but cliff notes is that's awesome. It sounds like you have a, probably a bigger VO2 max, which is the volume of oxygen that you can take in and consume. It seems that you've moved your lactate threshold up and up and up to where your body can utilize lactate acid as an actual energy substrate for, and versus it just stirring around in your muscle gr groups and adding an acidic environment and your enzymes breaking down and you have just chaos, you can actually flush the system faster. And a lot of zone two, zone three training will help with that lactate threshold. That's a whole nother podcast. Um, and then the redlining is going to be like your zone four, zone five. Yeah. Um, I, I will say the polar app does a better job graphing and it has a better chest strap, which you don't like wearing, but polar is the better brand for the chest strap. Um, their app, their flow app, from what I can tell, does a better job showing me what zones I was in and how long. But the Garmin seems to have more features that a hunter would care about, like you mentioned. I'm trying to do a comprehensive review, James, and it's just like, and I'm not, and I'm just doing it to help people. I really am struggling because it's just like, like these things do so much stuff that I don't need them to do, but I'm still trying to learn them. You know how that is, right? Yeah, I get it. Yeah, the, the, um, for sure. Um, yeah, lactate threshold was the term that I was brain farting on. Um, I tried to, especially 
this time of year, I'm in that two to three zone, but I'm really starting to redline and push that lactate threshold come the spring. And that's in direct preparation for uh, the scouting season and, and, and hunting. Yeah. I get into zone four really like infrequently, but if I want to do it on purpose, just go run sand hill sprints and depending on the size of the hill and the amount of rest you don't give yourself, you'll get there. And then a lot of my CrossFit style conditioning pieces will have me at zone three. Most of my strength training is circuited. So it is zone two. And I encourage everyone to get a heart rate monitor just to learn more about your body your heart rate variability, how fast you recover, your resting heart rate, your max, blah, blah, blah. Last question, man, because I'm telling you, we could do a whole podcast about what that fitness stuff, because that's my jam. I love that. Yeah, um, that, that is your jam. Here we go. Hopefully you can see this. The, yeah, the baby. I just got one too. Okay, yeah, but you already put, you, you've used yours. So Dan Evans is a really good friend of mine. I've known him a long time. And I said, Dan, I see you're coming out with a new site. We should come over to your house. I'd like to do a YouTube video on you anyways. Nobody knows who you are, and you're like the best elk hunter I've ever met in my entire life. And, you know, Dan Evans started Trophy Taker. Um, they made my favorite broadhead for years until they sold, and now that stuff's made overseas. It's garbage, but they had the shuttle T he bought from a guy named Butch in California. I remember when he did that. Love those broadheads. He was making the SmackDown rest. Love those. He sold that. So now he's doing the option sites. And here is the Canyon Pounder. This is the five pin. I'm a little intimidated, James. And I'm usually one that doesn't get intimidated with archery equipment. Um, can you give me the a brief couple of highlight things? Because I haven't even put on a bow yet. And I'm going to be messing with it and learning all about it. What are some of your favorite parts of the Canyon Pounder? The, the first and foremost, beyond just the obvious option part of it, just being able to flip out the fixed pins, that drive, I mean, that, that's what his product is known for. So that's obvious, right? right. That, that's super robust. I won't need to talk about that. That drive system is the best drive I've ever seen on, uh, on a bow site ever. That is it is smooth. smooth. It, there is zero. Th now, people think that bow sites have zero slop. This bow site truly, that drive truly has zero slop. That, it, that that drive is the helical, I mean, the the part, that helical drive that he got he has in there, the, the precision of, of of machining that that drive would have required. That it's not easy to to machine that. Uh, that drive is is a feat in engineering. Um the uh the other thing that I really like is the from a hunting perspective where you're not using a lens, I like how his third axis is adjusted and it's only in the bubble. Um, the reason for that is a lot of other manufacturers have their third axis adjustment that is um, on the um, kind of on the dovetail arm or it's kind of in between where the dovetail connects to the slider drive. Um, and the way, so that, that area right there is very prone to getting bumped. So I've noticed on, a lot of different sites, so I'm not going to just pick on one. That that third axis is prone to getting bumped out on other bow sites, particularly the bow sites that have the third axis adjustment in the in the 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 arm that connects to the bow. Um, there's just a lot of if you bump your bow sight out in the field, it's going to get bumped in the direction of that third axis, and the bow sight, you know, the the slider drive, the scope housing. That's all three or four inches forward of typically where that third axis adjustment is. 
So that, that, that bumping just acts as a lever arm back to where that, that fulcrum is or the pivot point is for the third axis and it can get bumped out. It's screwed up. It's, it's screwed with me on hunts. So uh, I love the spot hog because the third axis adjustment is super robust. Um, this third axis adjustment um, of Dan's is very robust because it's just in the bubble. Um, it doesn't actually move the scope housing. Now, if you're shooting a lens, that's 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 a problem because you right. do want the scope you do want the scope housing to be centered to your eye um, or or um, flush to your eye. Um, but from a hunting perspective, that 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 won't matter. The other huge thing, huge huge thing, and we already touched about touched on it, is my two arrow setup. Depending on on what my hunts line up for the year, if I if I geek out on a two arrow setup, which I which I'm planning on this year because I've got a um, kind of a more timbered elk hunt that I want to do. Um, so I'm going to really geek out on a two arrow setup again this year. Um, the Canyon Pounder is the best non-electric site on the market for a tool, a two arrow setup. There are physically two, there are two places for sight tapes. Um, so I, yeah, right there on the front and on the back, um, my my i'm basically going to focus on my heavy arrow being the fixed pins i got the five pin as well i may ditch one of the pins and go to a four um my slight my primary slider pin the one pin will be my my light fast arrow and the fixed pins and that backside sight tape will track my 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 heavy arrow and there's just not a site on the market that's going to be able to do that as well uh, non-electronic the garmin does a great job of it but um but uh for a non-electronic site like you were saying the garmin isn't legal in every state that canyon pounder is amazing okay james you did not disappoint dude in fact <laughs> i gotta meet you in real life want to hang out we would probably um do some tinkering and do some shooting and do some working outing and um tell swap some stories so Appreciate you guys. Give him a follow. I'm going to leave a link to his Instagram page and um, check out him in the Western Hunter magazine. And uh, James, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. Last word is yours. You got anything else you want to say? No, man, I appreciate um, I've known about you for a long time. It was good to shake your hand at the Western Hunt Expo and 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 talk shop a little bit. And it's good to get on with you and respect what you do and trying to help getting uh, people motivated to get in shape and and tinker with your bow. I love the your, your you know, your content from a tinkering perspective. I think that lets people know that, um, you know, the more you commit to this sport and of bow hunting and, and fitness, the better hunter you're going to be. I strive to you know, teach the same principles in, in my magazine, in the magazine and in the, in the content I produce. So props to you and trying to motivate people and, and, and just being a force for good. Um, I respect the hell out of you for that. Likewise, man, appreciate your, um, humility and, uh, just the fact that you're so driven, it's contagious. And, um, I want to spread that through this, through the waves of this podcast. So God bless you guys. Remember separation is in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one.